Welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly Wednesday night shir. Every week, Wednesday night, 9 o'clock, Brooklyn, New York. Tonight, we are broadcasting. Tonight, we are broadcasting from Manchester, England. from Manchester, England, and we Baruch Hashem Wazaycha today to have the bris of our grandson, Avram Yisrael Kaufman, we should have a richas yam b'shanam, we should have a lot of nachas from him, Shabbos, of course, as you know, is Parshva Yishlach. The Shabbos between <coughs> Shabbos between Yudalit Kislev and Yudtes Kislev. Days of tremendous, tremendous significance. Befrat and Shishnameinu amongst Chabad Chassidim and amongst Kal Yisrael Kal Yisrael Shem Yisrael any Jew known or referred to as a Jew Shir of course Dilanishmas Nachman Yaakov Ben Tzihesh and but she was Hannah Basav of Rama Zuzangizunt, he bought the Chaim. Pardon if I sound a little on the quiet side tonight. Baruch Hashem, I'm in Manchester, England, and can't wake the whole world up. Parshva Yishlach, very, very rich powerful Pasha. Many, many different lessons to our life, to our lifestyles. For that I'd like to discuss a little bit about Yud Dalit Kislev. I was Zeicha, albeit a short, short Fabrengen, but a Fabrengen nonetheless here in Manchester, England. Chassidim, fellow Chassidim. So beautiful to see Chassidim come together, join together. To be with the Rebbe. join together to hear to sing in Nigen and to hear Shavart, to hear something from a fellow Chassid 
they do this and with this in turn, they join the Rebbe. There's a famous, famous story. In the Chassidim of the Mazich Magid were fabringing. And they were together and they were fabringing and they were telling each other the stories, inspiring one another. And in every so often interjected with a chassidish and a cheerful song. And they sang with harmony together. Um, one of the chassidim stood up and very, very sad. He was not well. He was not well and he asked his fellow chassidim, bless me. Bless me, my brothers. Please bless me. The chassidim, all being humble of spirit, all being people of stature, but all being chassidim understood blessings blessings you get from the Rebbe you don't get from us simple chassidim a bit none of the maggots chassidim were simple chassidim but again he insisted he begged he pleaded Please, please give me a bracha. But the chassidim just sang merrily, happily, and as much as he pleaded, and as loud as he pleaded, although he was yelling on top of his lungs to give me a bracha, I should be well. I should have a foolish limb, I should be healed. Finally, one of the chassidim, known as Zalminyu, Shazalman of Liadi, ultimately the author of the Tanya and the Shekhanarach, ultimately known as the Alter Rebbe, stood up, said, Shah! Everybody became Shah. The Chassidim stopped singing. The Chassid stopped crying. And he said, My brothers, my friends, fellow Chassidim, have you forgotten the saying that came from the highest heavens to the holy of our holy teacher, the Magad Mizrich, that a Chassidic Fabrengen can accomplish things that even Malach Bechol cannot accomplish? By Chassidim coming together, united with camaraderie, with love, with respect, with honor for one another. When Chassidim do that, this moment, God.
God looks down and shines upon them and says, if my children are so united, I'd grant them anything they ask. Chassidim all recall quite vividly that very, very expression. They united, they blessed their fellow Chassid. They blessed him that he should have a refuah He should come, resort, he should return, revert to full health. And lo and behold, a short time later, he indeed was back full strength. So when I tell you, there is a chassidish of Abraham. There weren't a thousand people there. There weren't a hundred people there. Nary a million. Nary a million. But we sat together, Shavazachengam Yachad, to celebrate the day of Yadalit Kislev. And we forbrained a small crowd and a short little forbrained. But how wonderful it was, how beautiful it was to have everybody sitting together, everybody joining together, and just being one, and just feeling this is my fellow Jew, this is my fellow Chassid. He too is a chassid, a child of the Rebbe. It was just amazing. Sang one nigan, sang another nigan, spoke a few inspiring words. I hope they were inspiring. And everybody went home. Everybody went home. Everybody took home with them that little thought, that little seed that was planted, which may or may not, depending on what they would do with it, come into a bigger picture. What is your Dalit Kislev? Your Dalit Kislev is the day that the Rebbe and the Rebbetson were married. Um, being it's not Yudalad Kislev anymore, we've passed Yudalad Kislev today, we just finished Yudalad Kislev actually. I won't go into the details of the wedding. The previous Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, prepared 
quite a quite an event. It took place in Warsaw, although the Rebbe was in Riga. The Rebbe wanted it in Warsaw, in the Yeshiva, the Tvatsk. The Suda was in Yeshiva, and the Chasana was in it was just one big, beautiful, beautiful event, attended by hundreds of dignitaries and probably thousands of sitting all over. <coughs> and although it's important actually to recount and probably to repeat even the Maimorim and things that were said and the people that were there and to tell you about who, what and when. More importantly right now to us as Hasidim it's important to see, to know, to think to understand and to remember what the effect this day had not only that day, not only that evening, but 88 years later. 88 years later, we the Chassidim merited to have the Rebbe become the part of the family that we are. Or making us part of the Rebbe's family. By the Rebbe marrying Rebbe becoming the son-in-law of the previous Rebbe. And ultimately, as the previous Rebbe knew for many, many years before becoming the successor of the Friedrich Rebbe. This is what Yudalad Kislev means to us. Yudalad Kislev means to us Zehayim Tchilas Masacha. This was the beginning of our actual family, of our actual union. This was the beginning of the coronation of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe would express in later years how the Rebbe belongs to the Chassidim and the Chassidim belong to the Rebbe. We are one as a family, and the Rebbe, like a father to his children, a Rebbe to his chassidim. Baruch Hashem, 88 years later, chassidim are gathering, chassidim are rejoicing. This very day, the day that the Rebbe married the Rebetzin and became one of the 
And the Rebbe was related already to the previous Rebbe. The Rebbe's parents, unfortunately, father was exiled to Kazakhstan. And being exiled in Kazakhstan, unfortunately he could not attend his son's wedding. And that in itself is a beautiful, beautiful story, how it develops, how the Rebbeleivik and his wife Blavik and his wife made a wedding of their own in Kazakhstan, in Almata. And they took the apartment next door and it had to be undercover, had to be quiet. All the things that went down, again, just telling us how much this meant to each and every one of us at the time that were there and 88 years later how much it means to us till today the fact that we repeat and we listen once again and again to all the words that went by all the happenings that went on because it is so, so important to all our essence and all our existence. This is, in a nutshell, Yudalid Kislev. Fast forward to this coming Monday, Sunday night, Monday. Yudtes Kislev. Yudtes Kislev is the Rosh Hashanah now, all you that listen, all you that know anything about Chassidus, will know Chassidus is something, it's a deeper study of Teda. But more importantly, Chassidus is a way of life. Chassidus is a way to exist with the world. And Chassidus is a way to exist with heaven. The mere fact that the Balshemtov, shortly after the story, the episode, the horrific downfall of Shapsaitsvi, began to gather again the masses and began to inseminate the words of Siddhas. A short time later, his student, the Magid of Mazrich, and his student, the Alter Rebbe, 
began to flourish. And as much as they flourished, and as much as they brought the light of Chassidus to the world, they faced that amount of opposition, that amount of darkness. And the Al-Tarebbe ultimately is imprisoned by antagonists, by people that felt that he was misleading the Jewish nation. Or some people just felt that this is not how they were taught. Some people just felt that Jews are different from one another. Jews don't have to all be connected, don't all have to have to do with one another. Whereas the Al-Tarebbe said no. And Hasidus says no. Hasidus tells us that each and every Jew has a Neshama Taira, a holy, holy soul. And that very Neshama Taira is what ties us with God and connects us with one another. And when the Al-Tarebbe wrote his Tanya, after 53 days in prison, <coughs> every day another Patek. And it spoke about the words of the coming of Mashiach. This scared the people. As they just faced a short time prior the false Messiah of Shabtai Tzvi. It scared the people. Is somebody else now trying to do the same thing? And then there were those people that were threatened by the fact that there was no separation. A person that was a Talmud Chacham and a person that was a cobbler were able to daven side by side and show. And this made no sense. I'm a much higher stature than this other person. How could it be possible that he should daven with me? When the Altareb was imprisoned, a horrific, horrific experience of a person, for any person, never mind for the Rebbe. And the many stories that went down, especially famous stories that the children are all hearing for generations over and over. After hundreds of years, after hundreds of years since the liberation of the, of the Alter Rebbe, stories are still being heard, told, relived. As a story such as, I'm in Manchester, England, I can't talk to you, what's up? Manchester, England, it's 2.30 in the morning. Go ahead, quick. Yes. Who? Yes, California, yeah. New York. People didn't know I was here. I just shouted to think what it's going to cost me. 
um, the Alter Rebbe was taken back and forth a river from his prison to interrogation. And it was one night, the moon was shining, and the Alter Rebbe wanted to do Kiddush Levana. It's a Jewish custom. Every month, since the Jews live on the lunar calendar, and since the Jewish people are compared to the moon, many different examples we've spoken about many times. For one example of how the moon at some point in the month is full, and at some point in the month is non-existence can't be seen even. And so too, the Jewish nation, there are times in history where it was literally almost wiped out, eradicated totally. And yet, there are times, times of Shlomo HaMelech, the Holy Temple, where the Jewish nation ruled the world. So once a month, as the moon begins to go back to its strength and according to Chabad Chassidim from the 7th day of the Hebrew month until the 15th any day there is a clear enough moon preferably on Matzah Shabbos because the mitzvah of Kiddush Tavana is so special one should be dressed in their Shabbos best when they do so sometimes in the winter we don't wait till Matzah Shabbos because we don't know what to expect could be rain, could be snow, and on a cloudy day, of course, you wouldn't be able to do it. If you can't see the moon clearly, you can't make the blessing. This was a particularly beautiful evening, and the Altarebbe wanted to do Kiddush Levana. And he told the oarsman of the boat, please, my friend, do me a favor. Stop the boat, because I can't do it on moving vo- a moving boat. Stop the boat a moment so that I may say the blessing. And the oarsman refused. Suddenly, the boat stopped on its own. And no matter how much the oarsman tried, the boat was not moving. (laughs) He understood very well that this prisoner was not a regular prisoner. The Alter Rebbe told him, I will let them both continue, but I want you to stop it yourself. I don't want it stopped by a miracle. I want you to physically stop it so that I can do this bracha. This is a story that's given over from generation to generation. Giving us so much insight as to what actually went on. So much insight as to who the Alter Rebbe really is. As the Alter Rebbe wrote about the about Mashiach, this infuriated many people. And they see that on his way home from Liyajna, to Liyajna, he passed through a city. And a group of the people that were not happy with him were taunting him. Nu Rebbe, is your Mashiach coming? Where is he? And the Rebbe answered them very sadly. He didn't get angry at them. He didn't scream at them. 
But he told them that Mashiach you want will never come. And the Mashiach that will come, you won't want. The Al-Tarebbe did not look to hurt these people. He looked to just enlighten them. To tell them where they stand. And to tell them how they need to adjust. How to adjust to what the world really is and how to adjust the fellow mankind. This is just examples of what the day of the Yom Tif of Yutes Kislev means to us. One other story of the Alter Rebbe's leaving prison. Obviously, throughout the ordeal, Chassidim of fasting and mourning and crying, So when the release of the Al-Tarebbe, the news of the release, came about, the festivities, the simcha, were just indescribable. And one such chassid was so, so happy that they sat and they took l'chaim and another l'chaim and another l'chaim and, <laughs> well, one thing led to the other. And unfortunately, passed out in the street and he was a simple cobbler simple peddler as the Al-Tarebbe rode by in the wagon the Al-Tarebbe looked down and said ah the Gvir of Liyajna is snoring now he lives far from a Gvir far from a wealthy man but the Al-Tarebbe didn't mince his words the Alter Rebbe said something like that and the Alter Rebbe meant it a little while later the Alter Rebbe called his fellow in and he asked him what do you do? say pedal buttons, needles, rags Alter Rebbe says you're never going to get rich that way and the Alter Rebbe told him I want you to where do you buy your stuff from the people that come to town to sell it to you? Do me a favor. Here's a few rubles. Go to the next town over. To the city. And buy merchandise there that you feel can sell. And then come back here and sell it. Well, Chassid took his advice, 
went to the next city over, bought things, came back, sold them, and then came back to the Alta Rebbe. He was going to pay back a few rubles that the Alta Rebbe lent him. He said, no, 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 not yet. Not yet, not yet. I want you to go now to Moscow and buy from the suppliers and then come back to the local city where you just bought it from and sell it to them. And then come again afterwards. And sure enough, two weeks' time, Chassid was back. He did well. This time the Alta Rebbe said, I want you to go not to Moscow, to Germany and to France, to the factories that make the stuff. Buy there and sell it in Moscow. Because he was about to leave, he said, one more, one more thing. Al-Trebi gave him a Tanya, the book that he had just written. And he said to him, do me a favor. While you're in France, I want you to go to the theater. Take a show. Take in the show. And take the Tanya with you. Chassid was baffled, was bewildered. Beyond. I mean, <laughs> a theater? But if the al says, you don't question. And so... Chosid went to the factories and bought a tremendous amount of merchandise. And before leaving, he told his contact in Paris, excuse me, do me a favor, can you buy me a ticket to the theater? He said, sure. And that evening he went to the theater, it was beautiful. Beautiful hall, wonderful plush seats, warm. And the Chosid exhausted from all this travel and as soon as the lights went out and the play started the chassid did what only one good chassid could do he fell asleep in a blissful slumber no it was a short time later to him someone shaking him and saying Rebid, Rebid Shteuf Shingandikt Skud Geschlafen Wanne kommst du little Yidlo standing on top of him and is poking him and saying, Rabid, wake up. Play's over. Do you have a good sleep at least? Where are you from? Why is a chassid like you, a person that looks like you, doing in a place like this? The chassid told him, the Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, Shnei sent him. And he remembered the Alter Rebbe gave him the safe for the Tanya. He said, look, look. This book is what the Alter Rebbe wrote. The janitor took the book in his hand, opened it, and started to look through it. And as he looked through it briefly, he said, Very important Sefer. Very important book. And he gave it back, and the Chosid returned to the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe wanted to hear everything about his journey, everything that he sold. He was a wealthy man now. But al waited with a bated breath to hear, to hear. And finally, he told the story of the janitor. He said how important the book is. The Rebbe said, good, now I have 
approval from him as well. Interesting. There are two opinions who that janitor was. Whether he was one of the 36 hidden tzaddikim, hidden righteous men in the world, or whether he was something from the opposite source of spirituality, of holiness, from the evil forces of Islam. And the reason Dr. Rebbe wanted him to see the Tanya is to know, like when Yaakov in this week's Pasha fights with the angel, fights the evil, and conquers. Which takes us back to this week's parasha. A very, very interesting commandment in the parasha. Yaakov spends an entire night fighting with the angel of Esav. And before the angel set himself free from Yaakov, he touched on a nerve known as the Gid and he, in essence, crippled Yaakov from it. And therefore the Torah tells us, therefore Bnei Yisrael may not eat this Gidhanosha. It's a socket of the hip. Until this day, he touched the socket of Yaakov's hip in the tendon which became displaced. Very interesting, interesting story. In the middle of the night, Yaakov wrestles with this angel and wins. But the angel wounds Yaakov in the sciatic nerve, the hip socket. And how does the story conclude? We get a mitzvah. A mitzvah that we may not eat this part of an animal. The Gitanashan. And therefore we don't eat the hind quarters because we don't know how to devein that area to take out this gid perfectly. The Sefer Chinuch writes about this mitzvah. The mitzvah is to serve as a reminder to the Jewish people that although unfortunately we suffer so severely, many hardships in, in the exiles, the hands of the nations, the hands of the children of Esau, the Jews should be confident that we will never be lost. It's so remarkable. 
such a crucial aspect of the Jewish faith. Our hope, our eternal hope of survival. is based on such a mitzvah. On such a mitzvah, on such a story, on such a happening of Yaakov's battle. And not only that, on the fact that we don't eat this vein It seems to be mere technicality. The laws of kosher, you can't devein it, so you don't eat it. That precise nerve, the angel wounded from Yaakov. It's a minor detail in the story, anyway. The whole story of how he battles him, and how he fights him, and what it's all about, the miraculous salvation. So he touched the sciatic nerve. However, this ultimately is a very significant detail it tells us that God does not look away from any smallest smallest minute Mm -hmm. concept smallest concept the Bashantav ultimately teaches every single aspect of creation is governed by divine providence and serves a specific role in the divine plan of the universe But nevertheless, in the rest of the creation, the significance of the role played by each blade of grass is still minor in comparison to the one that's played by the sun, the clouds, the animals and the humans. But not so in the details that transpire and the life of an individual Jew, and the health of even a nerve in his hip. It's important and cherished by God. The whole entire universe is even more so. Because each Jew is uniquely chosen by God to be a part of his treasured nation. Each member of which he loves like his very own biological child And therefore, even a seemingly trivial nerve, a small detail 
to the Almighty God is essential. Essential to an extent such importance to him that it, God gives a mitzvah to refrain and to look after us. And this we see Yaakov Avinu exemplify as well. this is we see Yaakov Avinu says when he meets with his brother Esav the reunion that was being held up by so many different things he tells him in love and Garti I sojourned with Lovan I lived with Lovan I have acquired oxen and donkeys and flocks and man, man servants, maid servants, everything. Yaakov lived with Lovan Harami for 20 years. Yaakov picked up his family finally and started to travel to Haseir. The many different spiritual connotations that are referred to of traveling, Yaakov was ultimately ready to greet Mashiach. However, unfortunately, the generation that he had with him were not ready. They were rakis, they were soft, they were delicate. And because of that, Yaakov had to forego all that he was waiting for, all that he was anticipating, all that he was living for, the coming of Mashiach. Because the generation around him needed to get ready and to be prepared. But another thing happens here. As he's getting up ready to leave, he sends a message and says, Garti, the word Garti is spelled Gimel Reish Tof Yud. And the literal translation to Garti is I sojourned. I lived there as a foreigner. I was never really 20 years by a person who ultimately is his father in law. He never really fa- felt or became a permanent resident there. 
Hesijun is also a secret word behind what Rashi also tells us another explanation. Everything okay? Garti, the word Garti has a numerical value and it's an easy way to make the numerical value. You don't have to add anything up and start, try to conjure up different combinations of letters. But the words themselves, Garti, the letters themselves, say, spell the word Taryag. referring to the 613 mitzvahs of the Jews. And Yaakov is telling him, I lived amongst Lovan Harami. Lovan was a conniving fellow. Lovan didn't say one straight word. But yet, I kept the 613 commandments. I did not learn from his evil deeds. I did not get affected by him. He did not influence me any which way, form, or fashion. The 20 years in Lovin's company and material wealth The material wealth that Yaakov had amassed, oxen, donkeys, flocks, servants, it didn't affect Yaakov. It didn't take him, his essence. It didn't transform who he was. Yaakov remained separated from all this. Yes, he worked as a laborer. <coughs> yes, he toiled. Yes, he was in the fields with the sheep, etc. But he was with the resolve that his material affairs would remain foreign to him. He sojourned with them. And he successfully maintained Tayag as well to keep all the 613 mitzvahs. And this attitude ensured Yaakov and allowed Yaakov never to have to have involvement in the material world to disturb his God, his worship of God. And this way he'd be able to proudly say, I've kept the 613 commandments. Needless to say, it's a little bit of a bafflement how we say 613 mitzvahs. There were so many mitzvahs, Tvilin and other mitzvahs, that how could he have possibly kept? But spiritually, 
our forefathers were able to keep every one of the mitzvahs. Even the mitzvahs that had to do with the time of the temple, sacrifices, etc. They were able to spiritually accomplish what the mitzvah needed to accomplish. The word mitzvah, as we said many times, comes from the word tzafsavachibur, connection, where one connects to God. This connection that one makes to God becomes connected to God, becomes one with God Almighty. This is what a mitzvah accomplishes. Each mitzvah has its own way of connecting to God. And each mitzvah is something that we have to see to, that we use and we fulfill. And so too, each one of these mitzvahs our forefathers kept and were able to accomplish and fulfill that connection to God. We learn a very, very important story again in this parsha. The very, ever important story of Dina Baslea. Dina Baslea goes out, and Dina Baslea goes to see goes to venture out and find out what's happening. The Torah tells us the ramifications behind that, but for the shortness of time I'd rather jump ahead to the revenge that the brothers Levi and Shimon, Shimon and Levi, take on the people of Shechem after doing to their sister. Vayikush Nebine Yaakov, Rasik tells us that two sons of Yaakov took, took arms. Shimon Velevi, Achei Dina, brothers of Dina. Ish Charba, each one took his sword, Vayavayu, Al Ha'ir, they came to the city, Betach, Vayargu, Kozachar. They came with confidence and they killed and they slew every male it says they referred to in this passage as Ish a man and the message calculates and says that Levi was barely 13 years old Shimon a year older At the age of 13, they had the emotional maturity of grown men. Therefore, they referred to as men. And this is one of the sources from which we see that 13 years is the age of majority of halacha. A boy becomes bar mitzvah, responsible to keep the mitzvahs. Ironically, We're referencing here to 13-year-old Levi being called a man of maturity in an instance which he acted level-headedness 
Really? Level-headedness? He leveled the heads of the people of Shem. He went out there and slaughtered them all. For the, the mistreatment of their sister. And they recklessly endangered themselves and their families. So what's going on here? This is what the true definition, this is where it shows us the true definition of the responsibility of a mitzvah. Our commitment towards mitzvahs is most stable when we can understand and appreciate the value of their observance. And this is why the obligation to observe mitzvahs becomes when a boy becomes a man at the age of 13. And now is intellectually and emotionally mature. I don't know if we want to say that in today's generation, but we give them less credit than we have to, than we do. Understanding and the discernment are only the tools, not the foundation of divine service. Jewish maturity is found in Kabbalah's own. One accepts and submits to the God to God's will, regardless of your own intuition, better judgment. Levi and Shimon's status as adults. It was sound, it was full hearted. It was both feet on the ground. And they had independent sense of such critical judgment. And therefore, they went and submitted themselves to such a higher cause. And when they're defending their values, that was necessitated personal, it, it wasn't just defending values, it was personal risk involved. It was pure abnegation, self-sacrifice. They put everything aside. And each man took his sword to fulfill and to do what Terah beckons us to do. And ultimately, as Esav knows, that the goal is Esav to go up to Zion, to the heart, to Mount Seir, the mountain of Esau. And this is ultimately the prophecy that will come about with the coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu. May it be this very, very Shabbos. May we all find ourselves, because to hate, together in Yerushalayim Yerach Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.